Now, muffler family reunions, I would imagine, are pretty par for the course, just like yours. There's lots and lots of food, there's wiffle ball, there's fist fights. You know, because of the wiffle ball, um, these things get crazy and hairy, and my poor 97-year-old grandmother in the corner just shaking her head and rolling her eyes, and I'm thinking, my goodness, these are my offspring. Um, but as a kid, one of my very favorite memories of a family reunion was when um, my dad is one of seven, and they all came together and said, hey, you know what, instead of a family reunion, let's, let's run a houseboat together. On Lake of the Ozarks, let's bring all of our families together, stick them on that houseboat that had like 300 square feet, um, and have a good time. Just see what happens. Let, let, it, let it be. And it was a blast. It was so much fun. I was maybe seven, six, eight. I, I have horrible memory. Um, but all I remember is hanging out with my 27,000 cousins on this boat, uh, skiing and swimming and tubing and eating, and then just the next day skiing and swimming and tubing and eating. It was a fantastic time. One of the highlights of the week was that this was a double-decker, so the... the, the uh, First level, there was a galley and a big, like, uh, family room, kitchen kind of uh, place where you can sit and eat and hang out with bedrooms. And the second floor, uh, there was a bunch of bedrooms and, you know, a couple of restrooms. And then on top of the second floor, there was like a lookout deck with um, some chairs. And as true mufflers do, we we're like, let's jump off. Um, and so we climbed the ladder up. And everybody's just jumping off this two-story boat into Lake of the Ozarks, which is not clean it's not crystal anything. Um, and so the young John Muffler gets up on top, and I, I remember stories, because my cousins and my aunts and uncles making fun of me for years and years about this. I stood there and cried, and I was scared, and I would look down at the muddy, nasty water, and I didn't know what was in that muddy, nasty water. There was things living in the muddy, nasty water. I couldn't see the bottom of the muddy, nasty water, and I was scared to death. Although all my friends and family were jumping in, that's... That's what you hear from a preacher on a Sunday morning. Since everybody else is jumping, you should jump too, right? Um, and so as the seven, six-year-old, I was standing there, standing there, and eventually somebody with the last name of Muffler did something. hi <laughs> As I'm floating throughout her space, I look down and think, well, I wonder what color creature is going to eat me, and I'm going to die. I splash in the water. I get up. And remember, this is the 80s. We didn't have things called life jackets or seat belts, things like that. Well, I came up out of the water, not dead, and I'm like, woo! And I jumped back on the boat and climbed up the ladder immediately just like all day, all day, the rest of the week, having a great time. Having a great time. But I was stuck on the edge until somebody kind of pushed me in. I'd like to show you a video of a family, the Wilsons, that God called them to do something ridiculous. And they stood on the edge, and they looked down and said, I don't know what we're doing here. I don't see the bottom. I'm not equipped for this. But they jumped. Watch this CNN report with me. The Wilsons have been waiting almost a year to make the 6,600-mile journey from Kansas City to Beijing. The boy they're about to meet has been waiting his whole life. We first met Jaja last summer, the oldest orphan in a Chinese foster home for kids with disabilities. You've lived here all your life, right? Yeah. Long time. Nine years. <laughs> Another family broke their promise to adopt him. It's okay. Jaja, desperate for parents of his own. 
He's a rock star. Yeah. Ryan and Jerry Wilson have been trying for months to adopt him, but they needed $36,000, money they didn't have. Right after the story aired, I think it was 8 o'clock that night, we met our goal. Donations came in from all over the world. The Wilsons raised almost $50,000 in a matter of hours. Five more months of paperwork, and today they finally meet their son. And as soon as he looked at us, he smiled. Within minutes, crucial bonding begins. <laughs> Jaja's three older sisters back in Missouri, busy preparing his new room. We can't wait for him to get here. Oh, look, I got it. The Wilsons, both 50, say their Christian faith led them to make this life-changing choice. It's like he's already been a part of our family forever. Now, the Wilsons, I wonder if you caught some of the details in there. Wilsons are in their 50s. They have three adult daughters. They're on easy street. No more potty training, no more high school band recitals. I mean, none of this. They're on easy street. And then they felt called by God to do something ridiculous. So as they stood on the edge and said, we need $36,000. Maybe we're not the right age. Maybe we don't know uh, Chinese. <laughs> Maybe we have no real understanding what the journey is going to consist of, what did they do? They jumped. They said, God, I trust you because you took care of me yesterday. You're taking care of me today, and I'm going to trust that you take care of me tomorrow. Now, if you're anything like me, you watch this video, and you, there's this inner struggle because like, part of me is like, woo! Oh, God, this is amazing. That's awesome. They just did crazy things. They just totally believed in God and went for it. And then there's the other part of me that says, oh, $36,000. <gasps> okay, I don't really know how to speak that language. <clears throat> I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. Are you serious? Is this just like a good idea? It kind of sounds ridiculous. Kind of sounds stupid even. But the Wilsons decided, you know what? If God's calling us, God's going to give us, equip us. Help us on that path. Um, you and I might say, well, God, I'll make you a deal. If you prepare the way and take care of all the details, give me tons of notice and email me, we'll get this done. Whatever great adventure you have for me, you clear the way and I'm right behind you. The problem with that is it doesn't happen like that almost ever. As a matter of fact, fear kind of rules our lives uh, when it comes to doing something amazing for God. Fear of saying or doing the wrong thing. Fear that drives us to devalue ourselves and say that somebody else would do a better job. Oh, no, 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 not me. That's for somebody else. Fear of making a fool out of ourselves. Or even worse, fear of making a fool out of God. Because we don't have fill in the blank. Fear made that little John Muffler stand on the edge of the boat and look down and say, I don't know what's in there. I don't know if I'm going to survive this. Somebody had to kick me in. And that's what I would like to encourage and do for you this morning. I mean, not literally, because that's not nice. But I would like to encourage you to take that leap of faith, to take that leap. Um, as we continue the series that Tom started on last week, we're looking at the life and ministry of Elijah. Tom said this last week, ordinary people will be used to do extraordinary things if we are willing to be used by God. He ended his sermon with this. He asked us to pray 
uh, for God to give us two things, clear direction on where we can be used to serve in the kingdom and how our passions and God's kingdom combine. I was sitting in that pew last week and I'm writing down a couple notes and I think, <laughs> that's a sermon. So here we are. That's what I want to encourage you to do. Did you uh, do what Tom asked us to do? Stacy and I uh, sat back and we started thinking and praying like, well, where do we fit? Where are our passions? Where do we need to be in serving the kingdom? What are we supposed to do that maybe we're not doing? So we're going to take a look at this morning some of the ministry of Elijah and ask the question, how can, how can this story lead us to overcome our fear and jump into God's calling. So if you'd like to, we're gonna to go to 1 Kings 17 if you wanna bust out your Bible on your phone or your tablet, which is free, hint, hint, go ahead and download, download that anytime, or you can totally cheat and, and use the screens or a pew Bible, and that's fine too. But we're gonna start in 1 Kings 17. Now Elijah, the Tishbite from Tishbe in Galilee, said to Ahab, as the Lord the God of Israel lives, who I serve. There will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except for my word. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kirith Ravine, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to Kirith Ravine, east of Jordan, and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. He drank from the brook. All right, let's stop. Sometimes scripture is real easy. It's like a warm, fuzzy blanket. You're like, oh, I get it. I like it. It's fuzzy. I can like nestle in it. This is not one of them. I don't necessarily love germs. And when birds, God's like, I'll watch this. I'll have ravens take care of you. What? Gross. No, were the ravens baking the bread, stealing the bread? Where did the meat come? What kind of meat was it? These are questions I have. I look at scripture and say, ew. Yuck, bird flu. Anyway, um, with boldness, Elijah confronts Ahab and says, listen, you are doing so much wrong. You are leading people away from God. God then looks to Elijah and says, you need to hide because that dude's gonna kill you. Elijah says, okay. He hides in a ravine, drinks from a river, eats bird food. God takes care of him. A prophet's job was to listen obey, and then maybe ask questions. We see here that Elijah hides just like God commanded him to, even though it sounded ridiculous. Elijah was called, then equipped for the job God had for him. All right, let's continue. Let's keep looking at Elijah. He runs into a widow. When the word of the Lord came to him, go at once to Zarephathah, I'm sure I'm butchering that, I apologize, in the region of Sidon and stay there. I've directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to that region where he came to the town gate and widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so I might have a drink? As she was going to get it, he said, oh, and uh, please bring me a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering sticks to take home, make a meal for myself and my son. That way we may eat it and die. Okay, dramatic, much, really? Eat it and die. Here we see, after years of Elijah hanging out in the ravine, really what's happening. The drought is so 
devastating. This widow has lost hope, is poor. She's literally gathering sticks so she can make herself a little bit of bread for her son to eat, and they plan on just giving up. They're done. This widow is something pretty special. She's um, not a follower of God. She is not um, monotheistic. She's polytheistic. She's probably serving other gods, but she recognizes Elijah as somebody who follows the one true God. I don't know if he had like a cool God t-shirt that you would, you know, find in a kiosk at the mall for Jesus and stuff, or maybe he had an accent or whatever it was, but she was bright enough and understood that, hey, you're somebody special. I should listen to you. She is an ordinary widow that has nothing left. Normally in life, we would look at somebody like that and say, okay, no, this is, this is on us. We need to help. We need to do something. I would never in my lifetime walk across the street, knock on my neighbor's door and say, hi, my name is John. I know you live by yourself. I know you've lived in this community for like 50 years. Will you mow my lawn? No, it's my job to walk across the neighborhood and knock on the door and be like, can I, can I assist? My kids are cute. You want to hang out with them while, while you mow your lawn? It's my job to do that. But Elijah looks at her and says this, if you do something insane, God will take care of you. Elijah said here, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first, make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. Then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up. The jug of oil will not run dry until the day of the Lord sends rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah told her. So there was food every day for Elijah, for the woman and for her family. The jar of flour was not used up. The jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the Lord, word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. We see this widow standing here, looking down when Elijah asks her to do something, let's just call it ridiculous. Would I take the last piece of food out of my kid's mouth and give it to somebody else. I would love to say, well, since I love Jesus so very much, I probably wouldn't. This ordinary woman says, okay. She looks down into the muddy waters and says, you know what? I don't know why, but I'm gonna do this. I have faith that this is gonna happen. And because of her, Obeying Elijah's command through God, what happens? She doesn't go home, make a piece of bread, and her son dies. For years, they are taken care of because her job was given to her to take care of Elijah so Elijah can go preach and teach and do amazing things. She was blessed because of it. Because she did her job, she was blessed because of it. Now, I'm not going to sit here and get into theology and say if you obey God every time, you're going to be happy and healthy and wealthy and God's going to smile upon you and give you a high five. I don't see that. What I am going to say is this. Life is difficult. But when we run from God's calling, it gets messy quick. It gets painful quick. We see here the miracle of oil and flour outside the natural laws. It just lasted. The widow was called, then equipped for the job God had for her. Matthew 4, 18 through 22, let's look at um, Jesus asking some of his disciples to come with him. It says this, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, his brother Andrew. They were casting a net in the lake for they were fishermen. 
Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people or become fishers of men. And at once they left their nets and followed him. Ordinary men called by Jesus to do a specific job. These were not brothers on the weekend fishing for a good time, sharing stories, laughing and, and smacking each other when nobody's looking. These people were doing their living, as in if they caught fish that day, they ate. And if they didn't, uh, they didn't. Jesus walks up and commands. It's not a, would you, if you have nothing else to do, it'd be great, man, if you've got the time. Jesus walks up and says, hey, come and follow me, and I will transform you, ordinary human beings like you and I, into something ridiculous in the kingdom. You might know the story. They did. They laid down their nets. They walked away from their dad. And they became, for three years, disciples. And then after that, basically church leaders spreading the gospel throughout the world and why we're sitting here today. Ordinary men called to do extraordinary things. The call of Jesus demanded a reorientation of values and priorities. As a fisherman, I would imagine your boats and your nets are probably a big deal. What did they do with them? Just walked away. Our families are a big deal. When we are called, we have to look at our values and priorities differently. That's difficult. The gospel is not easy. Peter and Andrew were called. They stood on the, on the very edge looking at the muddy water and said, what? I don't get it. It doesn't make any sense. Why would I do this? But because of faith, what did they do? They jumped in. Peter and Andrew were called and then equipped to do a job that God had for them. Last one, Matthew 6, and 34 says this, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day is enough trouble on its own. A follower of Christ actively seeks God's reign in our lives. It is difficult. I'm gonna speak for me. It is easy for me to get comfortable I like the ease of life. I like security. I like to know what's happening. I appreciate a paycheck that gets my family food so I can have a house. There are things in my life that I look at that say comfort, and I like that. But probably you and I, when we are followers of Christ, we struggle with putting his kingdom first, his commands first, and ours Last, he is saying this, if we readjust our priorities, if we have a reorientation of our goals and values and we follow after Jesus first, if we follow God's commands first, he'll give you everything you need. Mm. He'll take care of us to make sure that we can do the job he's given us. That God has taken care of us yesterday, he's taken care of us today, and we need to trust that he can take care of us tomorrow. God equips those he calls. If you want to write that down, God equips those he calls. You and I are standing here as followers of Christ. As somebody, maybe you're brand new, maybe this is your very first time at church and you're thinking, hmm, what? We're standing here asking the question, do we trust God enough to do something ridiculous, to stand and look at the muddy water and jump? So now that we've looked at Elijah, now that we looked at the widow, now that we looked at Paul, uh, Peter and Andrew, now that we've been challenged ourselves to go do something amazing because God has called us, what do we do with that? I'm going to ask you to do something 
ridiculous with me. Physically, this is not a, oh, wouldn't it be great if? No, I want you to physically do it with me if you're in the situation I'm in. I believe it's time to get our feet wet. I believe it's time that we actively get our feet wet. And here's the story that I love so much from Joshua 3. The Israelites, out of Egypt, wandering in the desert. Moses is now a goner. Joshua is now the leader. He has been called to cross over the Jordan River with all the Israelites behind him. And this is where we find it. So when the people broke camp, camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Now, let's stop there just for a second. I'm a St. Louis guy. I used to boat and swim and ski on the Missouri and the Mississippi River, hence why maybe I got issues because of all the pollution. Um, but I've seen about every 20 to 30 years, the Mississippi, this majestic, beautiful, storied river, uh, gets very angry in floods. And it goes from this gentle moving, still a current, to this mile-wide, ridiculous path of destruction where chunks of trees, debris are floating down, chunks of houses are floating down, cars floating down. I remember it was in 93, this the devastation that a flood stage can be. These men walked up to a scene like that, and here's what they do. I love this. This makes me so happy. And yet, as soon as the priests who were carrying the arch reached the Jordan, and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam. Here it is. The ark, it's big, four people carrying it. They walk up to the edge and they see this flooded river and it's nasty and it's flowing. What does God do? Say, I got this, hold on, time out. I'll make it dry, I'll build you a bridge, we'll get some boats. No, what does he say? Jump in, I'll take care of you. So the Israelites, those priests, step into the water. And what happens? The river Stops. Matter of fact, they, uh, with the Ark of the Covenant, are in the middle of the riverbed for over 24 hours-ish as all these Israelites cross over. There is intimate, uh, intimate death. They're in the middle of this river that's not flowing. At any second, the water can just come rushing down and flood them away, right? As soon as all the Israelites are over, they take the Ark, and as soon as they step on the other side of the bank, what happens? Water comes rushing down. God equipped them during the journey. And that's what I'm asking you to do. If you're like me, my, my beautiful wife and I, we've, we've struggled as of yet, as of yet late. Excuse me. Um, we've seen things and our hearts have been broken and we've been like, well, maybe it's not us. It's time to get our feet wet. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Wherever you're at, whatever pew you're sitting in, I want you to do something ridiculous. It's time. If you feel like you're in the same situation, for us, the mufflers, you know what? We've really, our hearts have been broken. There's a lot of kids out there in need and in danger, and we have no idea how it's going to happen. But maybe adoption is our thing. It's time to get our feet wet instead of stop running from God. I'm asking you, if you feel like you've prayed this last week, and, and Tom said, hey, you need to figure out your vision, your direction, how are you going to fit in, maybe it's time. Take your shoes off. And I don't mean like, ha ha, happy youth ministry. No, take your shoes off. If you feel like you're in the same situation, you're like, man, I, I don't know where I'm going, but I feel like God is calling me. Maybe it's time for you to take your shoes off. 
roll up your pants and say, you know what, it's time. About a year ago, some people at this very church, people that you probably know and love decided, you know what, it's time to take my shoes and socks off, roll up my pants, let's start a multi-site on the west side. We didn't know what the outcome was gonna be. We sent, what, 70 people over there? It's almost 300 people a year later. Did God say, hey, it's gonna be great, it's gonna be fantastic, it's gonna be easy, and I'll give this to you? No, those 70 people-ish rolled up their pants and said, you know what, we feel God's calling us to do something, God will take care of us. So here's some ideas for you. If maybe you don't exactly know your direction, let me throw you some ideas. We're looking for those willing to get their feet wet in Bedford. It's time probably to start a church down in Bedford. Time to start a multi-site down in Bedford. Maybe you live in Bedford. Maybe Bedford's your, more your speed. You know what? It's time. Take your shoes and socks off. Roll up your pants. Let's get it done. Let's do it. We'll start with a few, and we'll see how God delivers. What about VBX or family camp in June? There's going to be like hundreds of children here, and they're literally here for hours so that we can teach them and love them about Jesus. Maybe you're saying, but I don't like kids. That's fine. Food, tech, parking, whatever it is, I'm okay with it. Maybe it's time for you to volunteer as a big brother or a little sister. Maybe you have some life experience and you say, you know what, I can be a mentor. I can do my best to love somebody else and influence them for Jesus Christ. Tom and the elders have big dreams. You just watched a video about that connector, that breezeway. Maybe God is calling you to take your shoes and socks off, roll up your pants, get your feet wet, and do something amazing by supporting, helping. Maybe it's a check. Maybe it's a shovel. Whatever it is. God equips those he called. So I'm calling you guys out. I wouldn't ask you to do anything I'm willing to do. I'm asking you, if you're in this stage of life and you're looking down and you're like, I don't get it. It doesn't make sense. It's scary. I'm ill-equipped. I don't have the money. Maybe I'm too young. Maybe I'm too youth-impaired. Um, Whatever it is, maybe you've been saying, you know what, that's, that's not me. That's not me, that's somebody else. It's time, take your shoes off. And I'm saying right now, act like the fool and walk out of this church without shoes and socks on with your pants rolled up. Somebody might high five you and ask you about it. That's a little bit of accountability right there. Whatever it is, do it. I'm encouraging you, I'm challenging you guys. You can be used. You and I, ordinary human beings, if we decide to stand up and say, all right, God, I don't get the clear picture, but I'll run after it. I'm scared to death, but I'll run after it. What would it look like if your life was different? What if you decided to jump? What if you were standing here and you decided, you know what, maybe it is time. Whatever God is calling you to do, I don't know your story, maybe it's time. What would change? I'm not promising roses. I'm not promising easy roads. I'm promising faith that God will lead you to do something amazing for his kingdom. That's my challenge. That's my prayer for you. Keep me accountable. Smack me aside the head if I'm like, oh, no, I'm not doing anything. If you want to have a conversation, you can come forward. We've got elders. We've got staff. If you don't want to come forward because it's a big, giant church and you're a little nervous, um, find us. We're in the hallways. We would love to have a conversation with you. We would love to sit and pray with you. Because when God calls you to do something, normally 
It's not easy. Normally it's not quick, but it's going to change lives.